How do we define ourselves based on our own inherent nature or our relationships? How does a change in status, time, or language affect our definitions? In his poem, Divorce, Alan Wallowitz tackles how the ending of a relationship not only redefines a person, but can change the way reality itself is perceived. Welcome to episode 7 of Exegesis, featuring the work of Alan Wallowitz, as read by David Villaverde. Divorce by Alan Wallowitz She woke with the Yiddish Obgetin on her lips, a word she hadn't heard since she was small when spoken late at night in the hushed kitchen of a railroad flat on the Lower East Side as she pretended to be asleep in the next room. It was always better to listen, better to know. When I got home late that night, our bed was gone, taken apart, slat by slat, rail by rail, and shipped into the future, which, though often unremarkable, is always unknown. Ordinarily, she didn't trust in dreams, but she wasn't one to allow herself to be taken by surprise. Published in September of 2016, Alan Wallowitz has been writing poetry for more than 50 years. He was a teacher of secondary English for 34 years, mostly in the New York City public schools. He also served as the coordinator for English language arts in White Plains, New York public schools from 1992 until 2004. Since then, he's taught at Pace University, St. John's University, and for the last 16 years at Manhattanville College in Purchase, New York. His poems can be found in lots of places, including two chapbooks, Exactly Like Love and In the Muddle of the Night. A full-length book of poems, The Story of the Milkman and Other Poems, is also available. Let's hear from him now. So first question, uh, when did you write this poem? What was, what was going on in your life? What inspired it? What, when did you uh, compose? Well, we're, we're talking about the poem for the Kinder. No, no, the poem uh, Divorce, right? That's the one we're talking Divorced. about? Divorce, okay. So okay. When I, you, hadn't, you hadn't indicated to me which, uh, oh, which, which poem. Right. Oh, the poem, the poem Divorced. All right, so if you want to start again, we can. Sure, I'll just ask you the same, I mean, I'll ask you the same question. Uh, so when did you write uh, this poem, and uh, what was the inspiration for it? Like, what was going on in your life? Um, well, I, I had experienced a, a divorce uh, many years before, and um the 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 incident in the in the poem uh in which that the the word for divorce uh came to my ex-wife in a dream uh i remember she woke up one morning and she had that word on her lips and it was at a time we were going through the divorce and I think it really came real to her in that moment, and it really came real to me. Some of the other moments in that poem uh, come out of my life as well, about shipping a bed. Uh, I had heard that, that uh, being done by someone who is close to my family, in which they had to ship a bed someplace. So uh, what what happened is what I often do in poems, in writing poems, I meld together whatever is going on in my head or whatever I've heard recently or whatever I've read recently and um, try to make them stick to each other. 
Sure. That makes sense to me. I guess we'll focus kind of on that word, seeing as it, it seems like such a important kind of, I don't know, a signal, let's say, or a metaphor um, that she kind yeah. of gloms onto. There's like these two traditions in the word. One is the tradition of Yiddish, um, and one is the tradition of divorce that seems to be present um, as she remembers her childhood, it seems, from the opening stanza. Um, did she speak Yiddish, or how do, how do those two traditions go together, do you think, of the language and the divorce? I think my ex-wife um, grew up with the Yiddish in the air. I don't remember how well she spoke Yiddish, but she uh, was a linguist. linguist. She was a uh, French teacher, and she also spoke Spanish. And uh, she held on to a lot of the Yiddish she had learned uh, growing up for a few years on the Lower East Side. I was very different. Uh, I, I came from a, a family that was uh, much more or seemed much more integrated into the new world. So my parents spoke Yiddish uh, in the same way that their parents did. They used Yiddish in my household when they didn't want the kids to understand what they were saying. So uh, I picked up Yiddish words, and I tend to use them more and more in my poems as I get uh, older and older. I feel that my poems are more Jewish over the years, hmm. despite the fact that I was brought up as a very, very secular Jew. Interesting. What do you mean? Well, we do. First, we do share that same kind of Yiddish background. Um, my parents also spoke Yiddish to make sure we didn't understand what was happening. Um, but uh, what do you mean by more Jewish? I guess I'll push you on that term. What do you mean by more Jewish? Well, I I, I would have thought when I was uh, a young man and just started writing poetry when I was uh, in my late teens or early 20s, I might have even... Uh, had a hard time saying I'm Jewish or I'm a mm. Jewish writer. Um, I was so far removed from the religion. For example, I was never bar mitzvahed. Uh, huh? my, fr my friends uh, teased me about that because I was really out of the mainstream. Mm -hmm. um, my, my parents didn't insist that I have a bar mitzvah. I know that in Judaism you become bar mitzvah, right. uh, so I couldn't help but turn the age of 13 and become a man in that sense, but I never went through the, the, the ceremony. It wasn't important enough uh, for my parents uh, that, that I participate in that. Yeah. So uh, my sense of Judaism uh, was very, I, I was going to say the word weak, but I'd say unconnected. Okay. As time ha has gone on, uh, I haven't become what I'd call a religious man, uh, but I am much more attentive to my Jewishness mm -hmm. than I've ever been. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, I think we'll come back to that, but there's an interesting phrase you've used a couple of times now, which is um, in terms of becoming. So you said um, the divorce became real and you become a bar mitzvah. And there's this idea of, I guess, not to, I don't want to say, I don't, it's not, I'm not trying to be unkind. I think it's more of like a, 
something happens outside of your control, I think is how we would say becoming. I would think of the word becoming. I'm, I'm kind of interested mm-hmm. in that tension because um, in this poem, there's a lot about knowing and not knowing. And I'm kind of interested in how you see that. Like what's better to know, to not know, or what do things become within our control kind of thing? Um, it's mm-hmm. almost it's divorce is preordained in some sense. I'm, just, I'm very curious about how you see that um, kind of framework. Well, in in terms of a, a of a marriage, um, you know, a marriage is is many things, uh, but most of all, it's an agreement uh, among two people that they're going to have a life together. Uh, so this is beyond the law. This is beyond religion. This is uh, a spoken and then becomes an unspoken agreement. When I was getting to the point in my life when I realized that I was going to definitely uh, divorce, it, it, it was an evolution. It came as a, at a time in my life of, uh, of great change, although perhaps I didn't recognize the change at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so it was a sense of becoming. Uh, it turned my life and the life of my ex-wife upside down. Uh, I, I know that she has recovered from it. Uh, I have recovered from it. Uh, but it is a process and, mm. um, it's, it's painful. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. Um, I guess it's, it's kind of like, um, a strange thing. I was just in my head as you're talking about the becoming and kind of as the pain comes from, um, things as they change, like the, we were talking about how, uh, sort of like Judaism sees, um, divorce as kind of like this breaking of something almost and like how it emphasizes that uh god comes down and says when you're born this is the person you'll marry kind of thing i mean kind of how things do um kind of come with these changes do you think that like a major life moment um is something like a a falsity that there's no like moment it's kind of like something that progresses over time or do you think it's more like there's this realization like this dream you wake up and there's this moment and you're like that now I'm, i'm sure in this moment kind of thing well, well, that's that's interesting. In terms of the uh, of the poem, I, I portray it uh, that my wife woke up with this word "up getting" on her lips, and I portray it in terms of her experience uh, be, because the, the the idea of of getting there and becoming i i think it was much more real for her uh for me rather and it became real for her mm. in just that moment of waking up it became a realization now i hope uh i do justice to her in that poem because when when i come to the second part of mm-hmm. of the poem where it says when I got home late that night, our bed was gone. Uh, what I was trying to communicate, uh, that there was, on her part, acceptance. Uh, 
not not acceptance of 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 uh the experience but acceptance of the outcome she was very much a purposeful sort of person mm-hmm. who would say okay now i'm sure this is the route we're headed now i'm going to move on so I hope I portrayed her in a very positive and purposeful way as the poem reaches its end. Yeah. I don't I don't think there was like a I don't know, I didn't read it as a negative like, oh this is a terrible person kind of thing. I thought it was it was as you're talking about kind of this realization moment or like and then of course once you realize you would have to act, right? Once you realize that kind of thing, there is no kind of um other course but to act. I just, I, I guess I'm curious now as to why you wrote it from uh, her perspective rather than your own, meaning why not your moment or uh, your experience? Well, I, I, I do have poems like that. I do have poems that uh, discuss my own feelings about the end of, of that relationship and other relationships mm-hmm. that, that I've been in. Um, but that one just seemed to work better from her point of view. Um, plus that, that moment when she wakes up with the word of getting on her lips, uh, that, that was something that could only have happened to her. Mm-hmm. I, I, I had never heard that word. I mean, I probably had, had heard of, of the need for a get. Right. In order to make a um, divorce final. But that wasn't Im- important to me. A get wasn't important to me. Um, right. the, the word didn't exist for me. So it, it, it seemed like it would have been almost a form of a, a appropriation if I had tried to write the poem uh, from my point of view. And it didn't work if I, if I wrote it too much from my point of view from the beginning, mm-hmm. and I, I said something like, um, uh, I heard her say the word of getting, it just didn't work. Yeah. And I, I wanted I wanted the two parts of the poem. Uh, I, I wanted the third person to begin, and I wanted it to be my first person uh, telling of the poem in the second yeah. part. Yeah, there's like a there's a beautiful like uh, symmetry almost there, where you've mixed now like what you were saying before with the between the first and second stanza, where you're like where you said um it wouldn't have been true if it wasn't her who woke up with that word on her right if it wasn't told that way and yet you admitted that like in your second part you have I wouldn't say stolen but like let's take a T S Eliot kind of uh, approach to writing and you know you've appropriated in a in a helpful and personal manner that kind of image. Um, there's this, like this tension between that I that I can feel as reading the poem that like there is this truth that you want to get out, but the truth is such a um, maybe fluid concept, or or it's it's important that the character is true, but not that what happens necessarily is true. Does that make sense? The voice is true, but the actual situation doesn't necessarily have to be detail for detail what what occurred. Yeah, you you know, point of view in a, a poem, and I know you know uh, this this very well often evolves um you know some sometimes we start in one place thinking that the poem is 
spoken by one particular person, and it ends up uh, being spoken by another. Uh, I, I, I've often had this conversation with other poets about how true poems have to be. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I fictionalize a, a lot in my poems. I make up stuff a lot in my poems. And I've heard people say, no, they need to be truer to the, to the experience. Uh, I kind of feel differently about it. I, I feel that sometimes we need to fictionalize in order to make the poem truer. So here, here are two separate events. Here's the bed being shipped into the future, which comes out of a whole different story. And there's um, uh, uh, the woman who wakes up with the word of getting on, on her lips. Yeah. The fact that I joined these two stories that really had nothing to do with each other yeah, I think makes the poem truer. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with you. I, I, I'm on your side in this case. It's almost like you've—it's two images. Like I always like to think of poems as, as, as you know, as image, um, and, and kind of like how we how we create that experience through image and words and and that kind of thing. I also think that like what you're saying, if we're taking—it's interesting that you talked about her waking from a dream because if you're taking like a Freudian almost approach to this poem, you would say that these two images is how somebody would dream, right? It's what makes something mm-hmm. true to like a Freudian is has nothing to do with the details in a linear fashion, right? True is right. the experience of it and the, and the emotion of it from a, a psychological, like this idea of dream really, really does help, I think, with this kind of poem that it all kind of works together, you know? Well, the, 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 the relationship between uh, dreams and poems um, is, is very, uh, is very close. Um, there have been experiences I've had over the years where I, I wake up and I can take the images from a dream and just turn them into a poem. I'm usually not that lucky. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but on, on, sometimes it's been, you know, known to happen, you know, because supposedly, uh, supposedly, uh, Coleridge wrote Kubla Khan. I was going to say, uh, yes, exactly. From, uh, from, from a dream. He was only interrupted by that damn visitor from Porlock. Otherwise, yeah. it would have been, uh, an epic. But, uh, of course, I don't know how, um, authentic that story, mm. that story, uh, is. But, uh, you know, we can tap into our dreams and we can even tap into other people's dreams. So when somebody communicates to me a dream that they had, whether it's my uh, my wife or my daughter or a close friend, uh, I, I listen attentively because sometimes there's an image in there that that I can steal. And um, you know, I, I, I've heard it said that um, uh, that that good poets good poets don't borrow; they steal. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I certainly do from the people around me. Uh, my, my, my very close friend, uh, Fred was telling me that when he looks in the mirror, increasingly he sees his father. 
and mm-hmm. I, I said to myself, "Wow, that's such a a, a super a, a super image. I've got to tuck that yeah. into a poem." So I'm I'm continuously listening for what people say and the way they 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 phrase things because those things might find their way into a poem. Yeah. Yeah, I find myself also, I agree, that um, it's, it's easier kind of to steal from real life a lot of the time, right? The the classic trope, the uh, uh, stranger than fiction or life is real, you know, you can't write this kind of thing, you know. Um, I once had a mentor also used to say, like, all I do is observe people on the subway because you can, mm-hmm. all you do is get images of how does this person act, right? How does this person step? How does this person, there's so many, like, um, human experiences that you can take um, and kind of manipulate the way you want within the artwork, um, that it's kind of like you, you kind of don't really need an imagination almost. You kind of just need to be observing. Um, well, and that, that, that phrase is very, I think, important. Well, I, you know, I, I, I think we, we, all of us who, who write poems are, uh, recorders of our, uh, of our own life in one form or another. And, um, sometimes we record it successfully. And it doesn't become a poem just because we, we've been too literal. Mm. But sometimes we can take the material that we're observing and hearing and we're taking in and uh, we can turn it into something that's artful. Yeah, I think, yeah. And that, that to me, actually, in my experience, has been a lot like a dream where you kind of, you don't necessarily use your cognitive rationale to create the poem. You kind of allow the things that you've used your cognitive mind to process somewhere, and then you kind of allow the rest of it to kind of work together in, a, in almost dream trance, like maybe is a better word. Um, I don't yeah. know if that's similar to your experience. Yeah, no, it's a, it, it, cer- it certainly has been. And, um, you, you know, lots of my poems are narrative mm-hmm. um, in, in nature, uh, in their nature. And, um, you know, I have to be wary sometimes of being of being too literal, of mm-hmm. too faithful to the experience, because sometimes the experience uh, just isn't interesting enough and just isn't poetic enough. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. I, I agree that in some way, you know, it's an interesting thing to, like, take the license to, quote, unquote, lie or change reality or whatever but like that's kind of almost the job uh description of a of a writer it's like is to do that kind of you know yeah well there's the the famous book by kenneth coke uh about teaching kids to write poetry and it's called wishes lies and dreams Hmm. and um you know when when kenneth coke was um, a poet in the schools um he created these exercises that would exercises that would tap into uh, students' wishes, uh, their dreams, and he would give them permission to lie uh, be, because lies are fascinating sometimes. Yeah. Uh, what, what we say about ourselves. And I have to uh, remind people sometimes because my poems also tend to be very confessional, um, which is a, a style that's somewhat uh, out of style, Hmm. That just because it's in a poem doesn't mean it's exactly what happened to me. 
Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's a, an idealized version of what happened to me. Um, and, and it shouldn't be taken so literally. So someone uh, has said to me, oh, you're so brave to write that. And uh, I, I kind of feel it's, it's not so brave uh, because you don't know as a reader which parts of this uh, are authentic experience and which parts of it are, um, are, are fictionalized and which part of it uh, are made up out of whole cloth. If it sounds authentic to you, if it sounds true, then I think I've done my job. Yeah. I think one of the most freeing things that, that I, that I found was when I was told, when I was taught that there's a difference between the speaker and the writer. And like, that's like a conceptual um, shift you really have to make. And I, I, that's why like when we were talking about how you wrote it from her perspective, but it changed back to your perspective. But, you know, I find that it, there really is a freeing of, of, of finding truth or something or just saying something that you want to say when you, when you can conceptualize that oh, it's not necessarily me as in my person that's on the page. It's, it's the speaker, which could be a representation in some sense of me, but it's not like the exact same thing, you know? Well, that's I, I know it very well because it's one of the hardest leaps that we have to teach students uh, when we're teaching creative writing. I, I taught creative writing um, on the high school level for many, many years, and that lesson um learning the difference between the the uh narrator and the writer the speaker and the writer is a lesson that some students it's a leap that some students never could make uh sometimes i'd make a suggestion to a student who would say to me but that's not what happened mm. and, and and i have to try to convince the student that it might not be what happened but it might be what's going to make your story or your poem better. Yeah. And it's very hard for, for young people to, um, uh, to, to jump that far, uh, because they're such believers in their own experience and they think that's the only form of authenticity. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost this strange paradox where they're trying to be hyper honest, but in their hyper honesty, um, like when I teach children how to write creatively, it's like they're trying to be as honest as possible, but because they're trying to be so honest, they get lost in details and they forget to like be honest in a, in a larger sense of like, again, emotional resonance or uh, how they feel about it. It becomes this like, I need this detail specifically, you know? Yeah. And it's very hard to assure them that the reader is not going to accept what they read as gospel. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, using the term gospel is, uh, is, 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 uh, interesting in our conversation that, that, that it's the reader's responsibility to understand what they are looking at is a piece of art is something that has been constructed for the purpose of perhaps sounding true or being beautiful or, or being more than it is. But the, the reader has to understand 
that it's not necessarily the author's experiences. Uh, if, if everything that was written uh, were just the author's experiences, uh, we probably wouldn't have three quarters of the literature that we have. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that brings up the idea of there's this old saying, right, that uh, if the writer doesn't discover anything new, then the reader doesn't discover anything, you know, um, then the reader doesn't discover anything, anything new. And that ties into this idea that students have this difficulty because they're trying to get the facts instead of discover something new. So I'm kind of wondering how that ties into the fact of the poem, that last line where she doesn't want to be taken by surprise and how that works together. Because to me, surprise is kind of where you learn something new, you know? Yes. Yes, and um, uh, you, you, you know the, the, uh, the, the biggest part of learning something new for, for me as a, as a writer uh, is the new learning that I do for, for myself. And we're both teachers, Aaron, you and I, mm-hmm. and I, I think it's true for teachers as well. Uh, and I've said this to the, the students who are, who I teach to become teachers too, that we end up doing most of the learning, right? Any day in a classroom, I'm probably going to learn, uh, as much or more as any of the students in that, in that room. And I think it's the same with writing, uh, poetry. Uh, I, I learn about myself. So in the poem uh, Divorce, uh, you know, I did learn something uh, about myself. I I learned something about uh, the woman I was married to, and I got to remember her purposefulness, and I got to remember how she took control of her own life that was really uh, one of the important parts of of my understanding of her. Um, And I got to practice uh, putting these two images together, which is something that I love to do in poetry, to to pull two, um, uh, two different images from my life or my learning and to learn how to make them work together. So I did all the learning. Uh, anyone who is either moved by the poem or interested in the poem or uh, becomes interested in poetry as a result of uh, reading the poem or becomes interested in uh, Yiddish or Yiddishisms, uh, then, then I've done my job. Yeah, I agree. Most days, I when my students ask me why do I like to teach, I say because I like to learn, um, and that's this is a way to keep learning in a very very uh, almost it's a more uh, practical and but practical is not the word I want. It's a more there's more oomph behind the learning here because it's there's a hands-on correlation to what you're learning. You know, there's a hands-on yeah. as you learn from your students, you have to impart better to them how you how you know they learn. Um, so whatever you're doing, you have to do as you learn your students or as you learn something new, you have to put that into the lesson that you're giving. Um, so for me, yeah, I agree. It's, it's almost a selfish kind of 
undertaking? Well, we 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 as as writers as poets, we we depend on our audience uh, to to let us know how we're teaching. Which is not to say that uh, most of the poems we write have morals. Or, uh, I mean, uh, morals as in uh, something that you learn in the end. Right. Um, but but. When we get reactions to our poems, whether it's at a reading or whether it's um, uh, when we post something on Facebook or if we send it off uh, to a, a, a magazine or a uh, web journal or we just send it off to another poet friend to read, uh, we're depending on that reaction to let us know whether we've done anything, whether we've achieved anything. And uh, it, it's, it's wonderful and sometimes very difficult, hard, grueling uh, to get feedback in our lives uh, for us to yeah. hear from another person, uh, this is the effect it had on me. Or uh, conversely, this poem didn't have an effect on me. In teaching, we, we talk about assessment. Uh, right. Assessment is the key word nowadays in, in mm-hmm. education. And that's our, our assessment. When we put our poems out there, uh, you know, we, we, we're, we're not counting on somebody to say, uh, this is a great line, um, love the rhythm here. But if somebody says, this moved me, or this spoke to me, or I like this poem, we're, we're getting our assessment. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think another way also to get assessment is to kind of look at our work maybe a day later or a year later or whatever it is. So I'll say this poem was published, I think, yeah, about four years ago. So how do you kind of see this work now? How does it fit into where you are today? Well, I, I'm I'm happy that I've uh, I'm happy that I've I've written it. Uh, I, I tend to write uh, longer poems, so um, th- this poem, which probably has uh, fewer than uh, than 20 lines, seems to me to be uh, very compact, very condensed, and it reminds me. Uh, and anyone listening to this um, uh, to this podcast might say, "Boy, this guy is very uh, long-winded." I usually am, and I often am in, in poetry. So I, I'm very pleased with the concision of it. Now uh, I know when I sent this poem to you, and I don't know if you remember this, uh, but when I sent it to um, the two of you, you and your uh, co-publisher, uh, Ariel, uh, we, we had, um, we had kind of a running back and forth. And, uh, I, I really appreciated that you served as an important editor uh, of this poem and you gave me feedback about what was working and what was working, uh, less well. I think we even had a discussion at that time about whether the poem should be called divorce or divorced, ED, at the end. 
So uh, uh, we went through a process. Even when I thought the poem was finished, uh, you as editors uh, served a very important purpose. So when I say to you that I, I'm pleased with the poem, uh, I, I like the poem, um, uh, I, I'm also complimenting you. Uh, I don't know if you remember uh, being involved in the editing of that poem at that time. I remember a little bit. Uh, yeah. I remember definitely the conversation about uh, divorce versus divorce. Um, <laughs> and definitely thinking it's it's strange how much a tense or, you know, in this case, a letter, but more importantly, a tense will change the meaning of something. Um, and I still think that's very true often uh, by changing a word, a letter, a comma, you know, as a poet, we we focus hyper on grammar almost in a strange way. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and yeah. Well, I I remember I remember saying to uh, saying to my wife, not the wife portrayed in this poem, but uh, uh, my 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 uh, now wife, I sang to her, "What the heck do these guys want?" You know, yeah. they, they keep questioning this stuff. And now, uh, three or four years hence, uh, I'm, I'm happy with the poem. I don't think, uh, I'm looking at the version that's published in my, my book, The Story of the Milkman and Other Poems. Mm-hmm. And I, I might have changed one thing before mm-hmm. it, it, it got memorialized in my, uh, uh, my new book. Uh, but the, the version as it appeared in, um, Jewish Literary Journal. Uh, I'm quite pleased with, and I like the concision of it. I like the mysteries of it. I like that it makes the reader have to work and take a look at why the shift in the middle of the poem. And uh, I like that it connects with my Jewishness uh, because I don't think I would have been capable of writing this poem uh, at the time when this incident happened, which was um, probably 30 years ago. Okay, uh, then that'll be my last question, I think, which is what what does the Jewishness kind of give you that that you didn't have before? Well, I, you know, it it gives me it gives me uh, a, a connection to a uh, to a culture and to a people. Uh, and you'll find, uh, if you read the, uh, body of, of my, of my work, that the word upgetten, uh, is not the only Yiddish word that you'll find, uh, in my poetry. And it is not, a, not the only, uh, poem that I would consider to be a Jewish poem. In fact, I think lots of people who read my poems say uh, the, the, the way they say about some other writers, oh, he's a, a, a Jewish poet. Uh, I identify completely with being a Jewish poet in a way that I didn't when I was 20 or when I was 30 or 40 and probably not even when I'm 50. Now that I've reached um, uh, uh, my senior age, uh, I identify the idea of being a Jewish poet, even in my poems that aren't overtly uh, about Judaism. Yeah, that always used to. 
surprised me as well. Uh, there was a period also where I was, I wouldn't necessarily have identified as a Jewish poet. And probably quite the opposite. I would have tried to identify as just a poet without the Jewish tacked on, you know? And then, um, mm-hmm. I remember going to some readings or class or something and everybody was like, oh, it's so Jewish. And I'm like, oh, I guess I just can't escape, you know, you can't escape it almost. Um, mm-hmm. so that's interesting how much it, well, it, it almost infuses in. I, I I would say that there was a time when I would have been embarrassed to identify myself as a Jewish poet, um, and, and uh, I, I think that is a uh, an emblem of how callow I was as a younger person, and now I, I would accept that that um, tag, Jewish poet, with uh, a great deal of pride. Thank you for listening to Exegesis. If you liked what you heard, please remember to subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. See you next time.